Our text today, or that familiar portion of Scripture, Luke 23, <clears throat> verse 42-43, passage has been much in my mind. The words of Jesus to the dying thief, he said to him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. During the holidays I was enabled to visit quite a few beauty spots in Northern Ireland. I often think we always uh, talk up all these great beauty places that are abroad. And I know they're there, but I don't think we appreciate the glorious beauty that's on our own doorstep. One of the most idyllic places that I visited in the summertime was overlooking Loch Erne, Lower Loch Erne, uh, close to the village of Kesh in County Fermanagh. I was down visiting friends in a, in a large estate known as the Clareview Country Estate. I read about uh, this estate on the website and all of the glowing adjectives that were on the website to describe the estate certainly lived up to the reality on the ground. And every facility was there for the holiday maker in the beautiful surroundings of Lower Loch Erne. The founder of the estate sadly passed away just a few years ago and the family that still run the business, in memory of him, they set aside a little piece of land just right down at the water's side, a memorial garden, a living, natural memorial garden. And of course, the day that we visited, it was just so calm. I know it's not always so calm in Fermanagh, but it was just so calm. There was no rain. It was very pleasantly warm. The water at the lakeside was so still. And as we looked out on it, uh, the water was just shimmering. And the boats were to be seen just further out from the shore's edge. And the tranquility of that moment. And I think just the beauty of God's creation all around. It just touched my own soul. And if you had been there, I think even the most downcast spirit would have, been would have been enlivened and would have been encouraged. Now I was very interested that the family gave that little location the name of Paradise Point. And what a lovely memorial. It's one of those rare places, I think, where the design of men and the beauty of nature just seamlessly blended together. Paradise Point. As I thought of that name, I was reminded no matter how beautiful, no matter how peaceful, no matter how uh, picturesque any place may be on earth, we can't stay in it. Paradise for the Christian is yet to come. The late owner, I, I know he loved that place and he, he poured his whole life into, well, the latter part of his life, into that place. It was his earthly paradise, but when death called, he had to leave it all behind. And my thoughts, even as I walked along the shoreline that day, they turned uh, to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to the dying thief in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 43. As he breathed his last breaths, as he thought of his impending departure for eternity, he knew that before he died that he needed to make preparation. 
He was dying and he knew that he needed to prepare to die. And he sought the Lord. And the Lord granted him the blessed assurance that we read about in verse 43. Jesus said to him, verily, that was the Amen. I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I want to emphasize again today, no matter how beautiful your home may be, no matter how much you've poured your life into it, no matter how much you think of this picturesque place that we live in, in Lower Morn, it could be your paradise. It might be your paradise point. But there's the day coming when God will call you and you will have to leave it all behind. Paradise for the Christian is always ahead. It's not here and now. It is hereafter. Paradise is hereafter. And if you want to go into the paradise of God, then you need to prepare for it. If this man who died just a few feet away from the Saviour had to prepare, you who have heard the Saviour preached all of these years and who are in his presence even now as we meet in this house that's been set aside for the worship of God, you likewise need to prepare. No unprepared soul will ever enter into God's paradise. I want to help you to understand today the preparation that is necessary to enter into that paradise. And we learn about it from the dying thief. I think it's still essentially the same spiritual preparation that we see wrought out in the life of the dying thief that needs to be wrought out, experienced in the lives of all who desire to enter into the paradise of God. Now tell me, tell me as we think about it, is your soul ready? Is your soul ready to leave your paradise? And have you got a paradise beyond the grave that you're going to enter into? We learn firstly from this incident that paradise is a prepared place. The word is of oriental origin, paradise. It is reference to a park. It is reference to a garden of pleasure. It is specifically uh, an Eden of happiness and of perfection that God has prepared for those that know and love him. This word is only found three times in the New Testament scriptures. The two other references are found, first of all, in Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Let me read it to you. We read about Paul in those words, how he was caught up into paradise further on down. In the chapter, in verse 2 in the chapter we read, it's referred to this paradise as the third heaven. And he heard unspeakable words which it's not lawful for a man to utter. So the earthly paradise in which our first parents were placed in the Garden of Eden was a place of perfection. What destroyed it? Sin destroyed it. Sin always destroys everything. Even the most beautiful places in the world where man has not visited, well, you can be sure after he has visited, it's going to be spoilt. People don't know how really to look after God's creation here, this paradise on earth below. We, we just have to look out some of Ulster's most beautiful beauty spots 
and you go to visit them after maybe a very sunny day, they're just strewn with litter. People don't know how to look after their own little part of paradise here below. That was lost through sin, the Garden of Eden. But there's an Eden above that God has prepared for those that know and love him. And it's called paradise because as the Garden of Eden was perfect and created by God eh, for our first parents, so the Garden of Eden, paradise above, is created by God for those that know and for those that love him. It's a place of eternal bliss, happiness and perfection. Gardens. I know many of you love your gardens. I was down in Mount Stuart during the summer time and I, I had the opportunity to visit the gardens there. If you want to see beautiful gardens, go to Mount Stuart. But those gardens will never hold anything to the Eden above that God has prepared for those that know and love him. There is nothing perfect this side of God's eternity. You plant your garden, you have the best plants in it, you have the best uh, uh, flowers in it. I can guarantee you the first term you planted it, you'll also have to battle with the weeds in it. There's nothing perfect this side of God's eternity. But how can imperfect sinners such as you and I ever hope to enter into a perfect place on the other side called paradise? I'll tell you how. Just through the wonderful transformative power of the gospel of the grace of God. The dying thief, in his dying moments he experienced that transforming power and it was enough to open heaven's door and let him in. And I'm glad it's still enough to open heaven's door and let you in today. The second reference to this word is in Revelation 2 and 4. We read, <clears throat> For the Spirit of God said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. <clears throat> he that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The tree of life, connecting with Revelation chapter uh, 21-22 is in the paradise of God. The paradise of God was a reference, an allusion, a metaphor to the beautiful gardens that the monarchs in Oriental time and in Eastern times planted. Imagine you're in a dry, arid place. It's desert all round about you. You want to show off your home. You want to say that you have something special. So what do you do? You plant a beautiful garden. We read about Solomon's gardens in the book of Ecclesiastes, how he planted gardens. The glory of Solomon was seen in the gardens that he planted. And in those gardens, those great kings of a bygone day, they held their banquets, they held their festivities. We, we see it all mirrored in our own day and age, don't we? Uh, when you're invited, if you've ever been invited, I don't know if any of you have or not, or some of you might have been there, maybe to one of those uh, garden parties that the Queen holds in Buckingham Palace. And you're invited out into the beautiful gardens, or even in, in down in, in Hillsborough Palace. And so these ancient Oriental kings and queens, they, they planted these beautiful gardens, and it was here they held their festivities and their banquets, and, and they entertained their guests. Now God is a beautiful garden. 
What a wonderful metaphor for heaven. It's the Eden above. We lost, as the descendants of Adam, our place in the original paradise of God in Eden. Because of the broken law, we're prevented from entering in. No, not, nothing you or I could pay could ever get us past that flaming sword into the Eden of God above again. But Jesus came. And he paid the price of the broken law. He paid that price by his own death. By his own blood shedding. And he opened up the way for us to enter in to the paradise of God once again. It's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of all the beautiful places you visited. Maybe like me over the summertime. Maybe you can, you can reminisce. You can recount them. You can tell me where you've been. But even our best earthly places, they're tinged with sadness. Because we think of those who have had to leave them. We think of those that are taken from us. Even our best homes, even the most loving homes that we have, we think of those who once walked in them and once were there with us in them. But they're no longer there. They've been taken to another home. But heaven is an eternal home. It's an eternal inheritance. There will never be dislodged. There will never be displaced. And it's God's prepared place for his prepared people. When our journey here, this side of eternity comes to an end. Let me ask you again today. Are you prepared for the moment, the exact moment when God calls you from time out into eternity? This week our little land has been full of tragic deaths. Those who have been called out suddenly, unexpectedly, out into eternity. Little eight-year-old boy, young 30-year-old man, all in the prime of life, known to us, just thrust out into eternity. Tell me, are you prepared? Because remember, this paradise of God, this Eden above, is a prepared place for a prepared people. Secondly, we learn that this paradise is only for the penitent. I think oftentimes we overlook this glaring reality. We say salvation's for everyone. It is. We say salvation's for every tribe, every kindred. It is. We thank God for that. We thank God. We believe in that. Whosoever whosoever will can still come we thank God for all of those great uh, truths of the gospel but this is one reality that we overlook to our peril salvation is for the penitent salvation is for those who will repent of their sin and turn from it so what is the evidence that the dying thief to whom the Lord Jesus gave this wonderful assurance he repented. How do you judge a dying man's repentance? How do you judge it? How, how do you measure it? How do you know where it's real? How do you know if it's genuine? Well, consider what he said to his fellow accomplice. And he was his fellow's accomplice. In verse 40 and 41. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, <clears throat> Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? 
his colleague, his, his companion in crime. Verse 39 tells us, railed on Christ. The word real mean he insulted Christ. Imagine he's dying and now he's throwing a insults at the Savior that he's dying beside. He's blaspheming the Son of God beside him. Here's his door into heaven and he's spitting in the very face of God himself. His companion. But now, this thief in whose heart God was working, he said, do you not fear God? He did not dare to rail against him. The other did, but he didn't. I, I believe the fear of God, as the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. And you know what is happening, men and women? The fear of God is absent in our land today. The fear of God is absent in our pews today. No longer do men and women fear God. I listened to an old preacher yesterday. Preaching in the streets. Man well into his retirement years. The people were just bypassing him. And they, were so, they were so engrossed in what they had. Looking at their phone. With the shops that they were going to. This dear old servant of God was preaching away. But the people didn't have time to listen to him. There's no fear of God. And there is no fear of God. But if you do not fear God, I, I, I know you'll never forsake or flee your sin. It's only when the fear of God starts to grip a heart and starts to grip a life that the individual will flee from sin and turn to God in repentance. That's what happened in this man's life. He listened to his colleague and he was blaspheming. He was swearing against the Lord Jesus Christ. How many people have you heard in the past week and they've taken the name of the Lord in vain at work, in the shop, at school, at college, wherever. They've taken the Lord's name in vain. There's no fear of God in their heart or in their life whatsoever. But it's when that holy name is revered. It's when that holy name is held up in reverence that the individual shows signs of repentance. This was a man, he admitted his own sin. He acknowledged that his death was just. There's one thing about prison. I've had the opportunity to visit prison in years gone by. I've never gone into prison to visit anyone and they've told me that they're innocent. No, no. Other, other than that, men and women. They don't believe that they should be there. They don't believe that they are justly suffering for their crimes. They believe they're innocent, even though they're guilty. This man acknowledged the sin. Penitent sinners will acknowledge their sin. Is it hard for you to say sorry today? Sometimes it is difficult for people to say sorry. They know they're in the wrong. They know they've done the wrong. But they just can't get it out. Sorry. Can you not get it out to God? If you're going to enter into paradise, you're going to have to. You're going to have to confess your sin. Hosea 14, 1 and 2 tells us, 
Return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. And take your words and turn to the Lord. And say, take away all iniquity. You're going to have to come with words before Almighty God. Whatever way you frame it, whatever way you put it, that doesn't matter. You don't have to pray a certain formula in order for God to hear you. If it comes from the heart, God will hear you and God will answer you. But you have to take words and turn to God in prayer. And acknowledge your guilt, but acknowledge the innocence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This dying thief, he could testify, Christ has done nothing amiss. He, he was a man who, could, who saw beyond the propaganda of the day. Remember, up above the, the, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ was the, the, the charge. He said he was king of the Jews. The charge that was put there upon him. That was propaganda. He went through at least two to three mock trials. That was propaganda. He was condemned by the religious courts of Israel. He was condemned by the civic court of the Roman authorities that ruled Israel and Palestine at that time. To all intents and purposes, this was a guilty man. The law of the, laws, the, law of the land said he was guilty. But this dying thief, he looked beyond all of the propaganda and he knew he was innocent. He had watched him. He had heard him. And he said to his accomplice, he said, this man has done nothing amiss. Tell me, have you got to the place today where you can see the Lord Jesus Christ as the spotless, innocent Lamb of God? He wasn't there dying for his sin. He was there dying for our sin. For your sin. For my sin. When you get to there, that's the fruit of the penitent heart. Thirdly, let me emphasize that this paradise, it was bought at supreme price. Verse 34, the dying thief heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Jesus Christ was dying in order to purchase forgiveness of sins and to give to us the title deed into heaven. His death on the cross is our entitlement into heaven. This is God's gift to sinners. It's free. But the price that Christ paid was the ultimate price. It was through his death. It was through his blood shedding. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus was our great mediatorial priest. And it was through his offering, the offering of himself, that we obtain peace and reconciliation with God. And that the heavenly paradise is gained. Paul talks about the price that we're bought with. Twice over in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6.20. 1 Corinthians 7.23. We are bought with a price. That price is not measured in the coinage of men. Can't be measured in pounds and pence. It's measured in the coinage of heaven. For it took every drop of blood that Jesus shed to save that guilty soul. Every drop of blood that Jesus shed was needed to save that guilty soul. What a price he paid. Dear Christian, you and I, 
must never forget we're bought with high price. That's why Paul said, Be not ye therefore the servants of men, therefore glorify God in your bodies. If you go into a shop and you pay something for it, and you bring it home, you wouldn't give it to the children and allow them to kick it around, would you? If it cost a lot of money, you'd put it up on a high shelf. Maybe if it's a very expensive ring or piece of jewellery, maybe you would get it insured. You would, you would put it in the safe. You would make sure it's kept out of harm's way and nobody's going to steal it. But you're bought with a price that men could never estimate. You're bought with the blood of Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Therefore, be not the servants of men. We're servants of God. Therefore, serve him faithfully today. We learn, fourthly, that this paradise is gained through prayer. Again, I think this is a simple truth that's often neglected. We, we won't directly emphasize the weighty martyrs of Calvary, the, the substitutionary, penal death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to emphasize the sinner's need to repent uh, we want to emphasize all of those great weighty matters. And yet this man's prayer emphasizes to us just the simple glorious truth that God opens paradise to those who seek him, to those who pray, to those who call upon his name. Matthew Henry, the great biblical commentator, as none other uh, could do, he vividly sets the same he said, this is the prayer of a dying sinner to a dying saviour. And it was the honour of Christ to be thus prayed to, though he was upon the cross, reproached and reviled. And it was the happiness of the, of the thief thus to pray, though perhaps he'd never prayed before. And maybe you've never prayed before, really, sincerely and earnestly from the heart. But you can start today. You can start now. And until and unless you make room for such praying in your life, then you're never ready to enter into the paradise of God. This man displayed intensity in his praying. He'd already confessed his sin. But repentance is much more than just crying over your sin. This, this man showed how intense he was because now he started to call Jesus Lord. The other thief just saw him with somebody else dying under Roman law. But this dying, repenting thief, he saw this man who was dying beside him as the Lord. The Lord of glory. And that's how he addressed him. I don't think there's any clearer confession of Christ in all of the Bible. There's certainly no clearer confession of Christ at the cross. This dying thief, he in faith, he looked to the middle tree. He looked at that bloody, mangled form of the Saviour. He saw what nobody else could see. Jesus deserted by his disciples. Forsaken by the Father in that moment when all of God's wrath was poured out upon him. When darkness all round about him, he got a new follower. This dying thief. He called him Lord. His praying displayed humility. He just asked to be remembered. Lord, remember me. He didn't ask to be spared. He didn't ask to be uh, taken away from the agony of the cross. He just said, Lord, remember me. 
it was a prayer of faith. <clears throat> His faith revealed that he believed there was life after death. Remember me, he said, when you come into your kingdom. He believed that there was a kingdom to be gained after death. And he prayed to the Lord, remember me, just have mercy upon me today. Sometimes I hear people say there's no hell. In the week that's gone by, our local papers have recorded the, the tragic death of Margaret Blockray. Do you know who she was? She was a lady who in 2013 won 26 million in the Euro lottery. And when she won the, the lotto, she was unemployed and surviving on benefits. In 2019, she said of her win that it sent her to hell and back. She said her money has bought her nothing but grief. It destroyed my life. She said, I don't believe in religion, but if there's a hell, I have been in it. Dear men and women, there is indeed a hell. But thank God you're not in it. You're not in it. You're here today in a gospel preaching, Bible believing church. You're listening in online. You have opportunity today because you're not in hell. To seek the face of God. And to call upon him for mercy. And to enter into glory. This is the reality. His praying displayed importunity. He was coming to his last moments. He didn't want to waste his breath. He didn't talk any more to his colleague. He had nothing more to say to him. He just wanted to talk to the Lord. This incident is not given, I want to emphasize, in the word of God to encourage sinners to leave off praying until their last breath or until their dying death bed. No, no, no. Old Bishop Braille said about this as often we quoted, one thief was saved so that no sinner might despair, but only one was saved so that no sinner might presume. Don't presume you'll have a deathbed experience. Don't presume that you're going to gather with all of your family and they're going to be with you when you pass over. Don't presume on any of that. You could be cut off and you'll not have that experience. They'll not send for the preacher. There'll not be a time to pray. You'll not have opportunity to seek the Lord. But you have time today. You have time now. Don't be worrying about getting home. You might never reach it. You have just time now to seek the face of God today. Don't leave without praying. Don't wait to your deathbed. Don't wait to your deathbed. Start praying today. In closing, with me, consider that paradise was given with a promise. I love the promises of God, the promises of God to the living, but here's the promise of God to the dying. In verse 43, Jesus said to him, Today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today. The Jewish day is calculated, not as we calculate days, so by 6 p.m., sunrise, sunset, 
Jesus said, you're going to be with me and we're both going to be in paradise. Now we know that was a reference to the soul. The human soul of the Lord. Isn't it amazing even to talk about that? The human soul of the Lord Jesus Christ and the soul of this dying thief. They were going to be in paradise on the same day. What a wonderful thought. What a prophecy. This dying thief, he, he knew that the crucifixion was a lingering death. He knew that he'd probably be on that cross for, for maybe, maybe two, two days lingering in pain. But Jesus knew something more. Remember how the Roman soldiers came and broke their legs. They were dead before their time. And before six o'clock, he went to paradise to be with Jesus. What assurance he had as he faced death. He was heading to the same place that Jesus was heading. And that's our assurance today. Oh, those of us that are saved, we're heading to the same place where Jesus is. We're going to paradise. There's no purgatory. Thank God there's no purgatory. There's no in-between place of purging. Today, Jesus said to this dying thief, Today, you are going to be with me and we're going to be together in paradise. There's no soul sleep. In other words, that the soul sleeps until the resurrection. We know that the body of this man was on the cross. The body of Jesus was on the cross. And both of their souls, according to the Bible, were already in paradise. There's no soul sleep. When death seized upon him, the trumpet sounded and he was gloriously welcomed into paradise. Now what's your assurance today? Today, what's your assurance? That's what struck me. Today, what's your assurance have you assurance that your sins are forgiven? That Jesus has pardoned them? That they've been cleansed and washed away? What is your assurance today? Don't tell me you're hoping. You need to know. We're going to be with them. With him in death. And with him at death. I'm glad he doesn't leave us. He didn't leave us in life. He'll not leave you in death. And however death calls. He'll be with you. And after death. You'll be with him. For all eternity. That's the assurance this man had. A convicted criminal. Condemned for his crimes. Saved with his last breath. By the grace of Christ. What a wonderful gospel we have. What a wonderful saviour we have to proclaim. Paradise point. It's a beautiful place if you ever have opportunity to visit it. I'm sure there's many other such like places <coughs> scattered across our little province. Ah, but it's nothing to the Eden above. We're bound. 
for the land of the pure and the holy. The home of the happy, the kingdom of love. He wanders from God on the broad road of folly. Oh, say, will you go to the Eden above? Will you go? Will you go? Will you go? Will you go? Oh, say, will you go to the Eden above? What, what will you say today? How are you answering? Don't answer Ian Harris today. Answer Jesus Christ. He's asking you. You who are in the meeting, you who are listening into the meeting, he's asking you. Will you?